number. But anyway, Revelation chapter 13, verse 11 to 18, says, I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a dra- lamb, and he spake as a dragon. And he exerciseth all the power of the first beast before him, causeth the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast, whose deadly wound was healed. He doeth great wonders, so that he maketh fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. He deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image to the beast which had a wound by a sword and did live. And he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. And he causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads. And that no man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark, or the name of the beast, or the number of his name. Here is wisdom, that him that hath understanding count the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is six hundred three score and six. And of course, six is the number of man, and this is the, as I look, we mentioned last week, this is the man of men. Uh, and that's why it's three times six, six, six. But anyway, the title of the message tonight is the Dynamic, Dynamic Duo, part two, as we looked at from last week, and we're going to look at this other beast. So let's pray, and then we'll get started. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity we have to open your precious word. Pray that you give us understanding and wisdom. Uh, Father, I pray that you'd help us uh, to... Um, uh, have discernment in the day in which in time which we're living, not to be deceived by the, the the spirit of Antichrist that is prevailing in the world, but Father, to hold fast and keep the faith and just be witnesses and testimonies until you come for us. And we'll thank you and praise you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is what I call the this is the what's is commonly called by many, the false prophet. Of course, he's also called that in the Bible. So, of, of five things about this passage tonight. First of all, his identity. In verses 11 and 12, it says, I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth. Of course, the first beast came up out of the sea. And, of course, we referred to this, talks about referring to the sea of humanity. This is coming up out of the earth. I'm not sure what the significance is of that, but he's, he's among men. He had two horns like a lamb, and he spake as a dragon, and he exercised all the power of the first beast. So, again, it's referring to God describes him as a beast. Uh, Before him, and causeth the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast, whose deadly wound was healed. Now, in Revelation chapter 16 and verse 13, uh, you know, we, we read about, of course, the dragon. Of course, we know from chapter 12 is Satan, the devil, and the, and the dragon gives power to the beast, the Antichrist, and he also uh, gives power to this beast. You know, he's going to speak like a dragon. And, and what you have here, you know, one of the things that the devil has done ever since the fall is to try and imitate. Be as much, he said, I will be like the Most High. And we understand from the Bible there's a holy trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. These three are one. What you have here is an unholy trinity. In Revelation 16, 13, 
says, And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon. We know the dragon is the devil. Out of the mouth of the beast, that's the Antichrist. Out of the mouth of the, here he's described as the false prophet. And we'll see, we'll see when we read on in Revelation 13 why he's called a prophet because he is a religious reader. And again in, in chapter 19 verse 20, again you see the same thing. And the beast was taken and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him. So it's easily identifying the, the, the beast in Revelation 13, 11 through 17. He, he, he's, he's a miracle worker with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast, and them that worshipped his image. And these both were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. And we will read later that Satan, the devil, is going to be cast in there with them forever. So he is called the first, uh, the false prophet. He's referred to as a false prophet. He is to be the leader of, of a one-world religion. You know, he's going to cause, as it says here, he's going to cause all... Uh, all, in verse 16, he causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, to worship, to receive the mark of the, of the, of the beast, and to worship him. Uh, you know, we believe that, you know, from what the Bible teaches here in the book of Revelation, that there's going to come a one world religion. And we see this being pushed in our world today. Uh, you know, and, you know, and it's it, you know, there's a there's there has been, uh, always been this this uh, 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 push for um, religion and and you know a, a one world religion. You know, Nebuchadnezzar endeavored to do it. Um, Constantine tried to to force that upon mankind. And of course, the the uh, Catholic Church for thousands or thousand plus years tried to do that. Uh, and so this is this is this is the this is a man of of some power and stature who's gonna who's gonna uh, have a, a, a worldwide authority in religious affairs to cause men to worship the Antichrist. Now, I don't think you have to speculate very long who that probably will be. What is by far the largest religion in the world? With the most money and the most influence. The only religion that has a state ambassador to it. It's the Roman Catholic Church. And when we get to Revelation chapter 17 18, it, it's hard to not see that. Uh, you know, and of course, you know, the Roman Catholic Church is a system that in many ways adapts to the cultures of the world and other beliefs as long as they pay and submit. Uh, you know, that's, that's one of the things they have done. So he is the, he's going to be a, a world religious leader. He'll be the leader of the religious world. Uh, he's, he's described in verse 1. It's an interesting description of him. He says, I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spake as a dragon. Now, a lamb speaks of gentleness, shepherding, you know, that kind of thing, gentleness. 
but he has two horns. Horns speaks of power. And it's interesting there are two. Uh, and, you know, is it, it could refer to both spiritual power and temporal power. And if we are here describing the Roman Catholic Church and the Pope, he had both. He exercised both spiritual and temporal power. He controlled, during the Dark Ages, they controlled the known world. They controlled kings. They set up kings, put them down. They, would, they were the ones who anointed, anointed kings, and they would dethrone kings. Uh, they, as a state religion, for over a thousand years, they set up and removed kings. They burned heretics, quote-unquote, at the stake, or tortured them to death through the Inquisition. And, of course, it says he spake as a dragon. He speaks as a dragon. Uh, one pastor said this, quote, The second beast or false prophet will most likely emerge as a patriarch or pope, or more likely simply a prophet of the universal religion. He will originally counterfeit the general gentle character of Christ, lamb-like, coming as humanity's friend. And that's how they always put themselves forward. Mild, gentle, inoffensive. But he only resembled a lamb. This lamb had two horns. The horn is a symbol of power. And you know, does this represent or reflect his power or influence in two realms, the spiritual and temporal? Will he, as the papacy has done so often in the past, though having the apparent gentleness of the lamb, yet deposing kings and giving away crowns and driving thousands to the stake or throwing in the mid-dungeons of the Inquisition? Only time will tell what these two horns signify, but we are told that his inspired words will be those of Satan, for he spake as a dragon. His voice and words will show that his true inner nature is corrupt and satanic. And, you know, first his words will be sweetly deceptive words, and soon they will become deadly, tyrannical words. And that has been very true of the popes down through history. So, so we see him as a world religious leader. He appears as a lamb, but he speaks with power and authority and the vengeance and wrath of a dragon. Of a dragon. But I want you to notice his mission. In verse 12, he exerciseth all the power of the first beast before him. Now think about the power that the first beast had. It is worldwide. The first beast has world dominion. He's going to rule over all the kings of the earth. We were told that. And so this beast is going to have likewise that kind of power. He's going to rule over all the world, all the religious world. Uh, and causes the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. So his mission is to consolidate all religion under the authority of the world power, the beast, who is the Antichrist, who we read about in chapter 13, verses 1 through 10. Again, this is not new. Nebuchadnezzar tried it. Constantine endeavored to do that and tried to bring all of Christendom and all religions in under the umbrella of, of Rome, the authority of Rome. And of course, you know, the, those who were true to the word of God refused. And, you know, the, the Roman Catholic Church and Protestantism has been pushing this ever since. You know, there's, this, there's this been this um, push for a couple hundred years of 
you know, of the papacy receiving their children all back home, you know. And now, you know, this, this would have been unheard of a few years ago or ten years ago, but now they're embracing Islam also. They want to bring Islam into this. Uh, and, you know, there's, there's, been, there's been treaties signed with, with this. And, and, you know, the, the question I asked myself as I was uh, preparing this is, okay, so, so the, the Catholic Church understands there's going to be an Antichrist. They say that in the writings. How is it that they will receive him, uh, that he will be received by the one world religion that I believe is going to be headed up by the papacy? Well, it's their doctrine. Uh, and this came out of this, this article. I have a lengthy article concerning their, their uh, beliefs. Uh, and it's on, um, what was the website called? IgnatiusInsight.com. It was written by a guy by the name of Carl Olson. And of course, he's Catholic. And, and just listen to some of the things concerning the Catholic Church. You know, he's a Catholic writing about Catholic doctrine. I'm not saying, this is not a Baptist writing this. He says, The Bible is truly the Word of God, and when the Word of God says that the church is the body of Christ and the pillar and support of truth, it points to key principle. The task of authentically interpreting scriptures belongs to the church. Of course, when he says church, he's referring to the Roman Catholic Church. And the church has a certain structure based on Christ's own choosing of apostles and granting them authority. So, you know, when they're talking about Christ choosing apostles, they're talking about Peter and succession of Peter popes from then on. That's what they're referring to. Uh, For, of course, all that has been said about the manner of interpreting Scripture is ultimately subject to the judgment of the church, which exercises divine uh, the divinely conferred commission and ministry of watching over and interpreting the word of God. Now listen to the statement. This does not mean the Catholic Church has definitely interpreted every single passage of Scripture or that individual Catholics cannot study the Scripture for themselves. On the contrary, the Church has definitely interpreted less than a dozen passages while encouraging Catholics to read the Bible in light of the living tradition of the whole church. Now, let me read that statement to you again. This doesn't mean that the Catholic Church has definitely interpreted every single passage of Scripture or that individual Catholics cannot study Scripture for themselves. On the contrary, the church has definitely interpreted less than a dozen passages while encouraging Catholics to read the Bible in light of the living tradition of the whole church. What would you call a pastor who could only interpret less than a dozen passages? Not very bright. That's what he said. Uh, And, of course, the theology allows this... um, um, I got the right page here. Yeah. Okay. So, so here, here's here's what'll bring this all about: a difference in theology concerning last things or eschatology. Um, their eschatology, he says, flows directly from ecclesiology or the doctrine of the church. 
This explains how some the significant differences between what Catholics and many fundamentalists believe about the end time. While Tim LaHaye and Hal Lindsey and other popular dispensationalists teach that God has two people, the church and Israel, the Catholic Church asserts that God has always had only one people or family throughout history. According to Catechism, this family of God is gradually formed and takes shape during the stages of human history in keeping with the Father's plan. In fact, already present in figure at the beginning of, this, of the world, this church was prepared in marvelous fashion in the history of the people of Israel. Established in the last age of the world and made manifest in the outpouring of the Spirit, it will be brought to the glorious completion at the end time. Therefore, the Catholic Church has always stood, understood herself to be the new Israel and the new people of God and the recipients of the new covenant given through Christ. The old covenant was not rejected by Christ, but fulfilled and taken up into the new covenant. This difference between dispensationalism and Catholic doctrine is a basis for other disagreements, including those involving the rapture and the nature of the millennium. Interestingly enough, Martin Luther and John Calvin, Protestants, understood the church to be the true heir of Israel. They also would have rejected dispensationalism, which only emerged as a method of biblical interpretation at the last 200 years or so. It's not really true, but anyway. So, uh, you know, they, they believe that they are the new Israel. And the Catholic doctrine also teaches that the church is intimately related to the kingdom of God. The church is ultimately one holy Catholic apostolic in her deepest and ultimate identity because it is in her, in her, that the kingdom of heaven, the reign of God, already exists and will be fulfilled at the end time. The kingdom is not yet complete, but began with the incarnation, will be fully realized at the end time. The kingdom of heaven was inaugurated on earth by Christ. This kingdom is shown out before men in the word, in the works, in the presence of Christ. The church, of course referring to the Catholic church, is the seed and beginning of this kingdom. Its keys are entrusted to Peter. And of course, you know, that's passed on to all the popes. Uh, so... Uh, and, of course, they reject the rapture based on her, her doctrine of the church. It's always been the Catholic teaching, of course, that Jesus will physically and visibly return to earth. As Catholics say in the creed each week at the Eucharist liturgy, he will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. Now, I want you to think about something. How is the Antichrist going to come? He's going to come very gloriously, riding on a white horse. He's going to say, According to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 4, he's going to declare himself to be God. Now, if they are delusional enough to believe that Islam can be, a, can be transformed into a religion of peace, if they are delusional enough to think they are a religion of peace, they'll believe anything. And they're going to accept they will accept the Antichrist. And, of course, it's because of their false doctrine. Um, you know, see, they are, they are, this is, this is their doctrine, they are the new Israel, the people of God. They are the interpreters of Scripture, although this writer says they interpret less than a dozen. Uh, they are the seed and beginning of the kingdom. You know, really, this is the height of pride. And, and they are, they are the largest, the richest, the most influential religion in the world. 
Uh, in fact, they, according to um, Wikipedia, let me see if I have it here somewhere. Um, yeah, here it is. In 2012, estimates of, of religions in the world, uh, Christ, Christianity, you know, Christianity, quote unquote, that would include, you know, every stripe and sound and, you know, whatever. Uh, that would include Catholicism for the most part. 33% of the world's population. The closest is Islam with 24%. And the next is secular, non-religious, agnostic, atheist with 16%. And the next is 15% Hinduism. So they are by far the largest and the wealthiest, most influential religion in the world. And, and, and this is, you know, to me, this is an opportunity. They are opportunists. If you read church history, I've read a little bit of church history, and you'll find very quickly they are opportunists. And this is an opportunity to enrich and enlarge their wealth and their power. And, you know, they are. Look at Revelation chapter 18, verse, verse 7. There's a statement here, and I believe this is referring to it. Um, Notice she says about herself, How much she hath glorified herself, and lived deliciously. So much torment and sorrow give her, for she saith in her heart, I sit a queen, and am no widow, and shall see no sorrow. Now, when I say the, the RC is going to head this up, it isn't going to be just the RC. I believe it's going to be all the religions are going to come together as one. You say, how can they do that? Well, they're doing it now. They call it unity in diversity. You know, it's kind of a misnomer. It's not really something that's possible. To really have unity, you have to be in agreement. But they're going to combine forces. They're going to combine forces, which they already are doing, and many of them already are, have combined their forces, and they don't all agree. They just, but see, see to them, doctrine's not important. It's the unity that's important. And, and so, uh, and they are, of course, looking for Christ to return. They're not looking for the rapture because they don't believe in a rapture of the saints. They're looking for the establishment of the kingdom of Christ. So are a lot of other world religions. As I mentioned last week, Islam is looking for their quote-unquote Messiah. Uh, the uh, Hare Krishnas or the Hindus are looking for the Lord Maitreya, you know, New Agers and all. They're all looking for some kind of Messiah. And Antichrist will claim to be God. And their mission is going to be to cause all the world to worship the beast. Now, then I want you to notice, fourthly, their work of deception. Here's how they're going to do it. Notice verses 13 through 15. And he doeth great wonders, so that he maketh fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men, and deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image of the beast which had the wound by a sword and did live. And, and so, you know, he's going to work miracles. Uh, 
He's going to work miracles. Now, this has been a tactic that the Catholic Church has used for, again, for thousands of years. Um, if you just Google, sometime if you want to get a chuckle or amuse yourself, Google miracles in the Catholic Church. Okay, so one miracle is, it's, it's titled, Incorruptible Bodies of Saints That Never Decay. And the story goes like this. In the early 20th century, saints known as incorrupt, quote-unquote, were discovered with preserved bodies. Some of these saints decomposed after their final resting places became unsealed, allowing everyday microbes and contaminants to end up in their time of untouched perfection. Still, believers in the miracle of incorrupt saints stay undeterred in their faith, feeling assured that God blessed his servants with bodies that remain in pristine condition after death even though the Catholic Church eventually stopped declaring these to be miracles. Coinciding with the Church's decision were the scientific discoveries that most of the saints underwent a mummification process as part of their preparation for burial. Other saints, meanwhile, had the luck of being kept chilled in vaults that stayed off decay. But a number of saints were scientifically proven to have no special conditions in their final resting place, nor any preparation to observe them after burial. Saint Zeta received a full examination via intrabody camera, by scientists working under the pathologist Gino Forcario of the University of Pisa, they found no sign of post-mortem cuts or preservation methods on or in the corpse. At least three other saints, uh, and they're named here, are also explicably preserved. So, there are certain saints. That's a miracle. Of course, there's Our Lady of Lourdes and the Healing of Water. Uh, in, in, in 1858 in Lourdes, France, a 14-year-old girl named Bernadette Sobiris lived with her family in an abandoned prison. Bernadette went with her sister and a friend to collect firewood on February 11th. She lagged behind due to asthma and found herself alone at the grot grotto of Massabille, while the other girls had already crossed the cold stream. According to Bernadette, as she moved, worked to remove her socks and shoes, gusts of wind issued from the grotto before a blinding light followed. A woman in white robes with a blue sash, yellow roses on her foot, feet, and a rosary in her hands appeared to Bernadette and encouraged her to pray. Bernadette's companions did not see any of this and brushed off her account of the vision. She visited the woman daily for the next 15 days, despite police intervention and her parents' disapproval. February 25th, the woman told Bernadette to drink from and bathe herself in the fountain, but there wasn't one. So the girl dug with her fingers until she found an underground water spring that still flows today. Three days later, the woman told the girl to build a church on the land, but the local clergy dismissed her until 1862 when they officially decreed the Virgin Mary had revealed herself. Millions, fought, millions flocked to the spring annually, and the medical borough of the sanctuary claims upward of 7,000 visitors have received healing from their ailments by immersing themselves in the spring. Each cured person submits their information to the borough's scientific authentication before leaving the Holy Grants. Of the 7,000 reports of healing since 1862, 66 remain unexplained by science because Bernadette became St. Bernadette after committing herself to a life of servitude as a nun and is one of the incorrupt saints recognized by the Catholic Church. You know, so you, you have all this kind of weird stuff. There's a St. Generius' annually liquefying blood that annually they open this vial of his blood and it becomes liquefied. Kind of strange. Or there's the Virgin of Guadalupe, and this is a very famous one. 
For three days in December 1531, the Virgin Mary appeared to Aztec Juan Diago during his trek through Mexico. Bathed in light, Mary came to him, explained her wish to have a church built where she was standing, and asked Diego to take her message to the bishop. Diego did as she asked, traveling to the home of Fray Juan, but he failed to convince the bishop. After a second visit with Mary and another attempt at getting the church built, the bishop asked Diego for proof of Mary's appearance. On a third encounter with Mary, he instructed Diego to fill his tilma, a type of cloak, with roses cut from a snowy hillside where flowers normally did not grow in December. When Diego returned to the bishop and allowed the roses to fall from his tilma, a painting of the Virgin Mary appeared on the fabric just as Diego had described to the bishop. Skeptics theorized the Spanish fabricated the miracle to convert Aztecs to Catholicism with the apparitions, apparitions insistence of being called St. Maria Guadalupe. But the Spanish did not write of the miracle until 1548. And supposedly the influx of Aztecs converting began in 1531. Uh, a photographer named Alphonse Marquis claimed in 1901 that he noticed the reflection of the bearded man in the painting's right eye. In 1956, an ophthalmologist named Dave, Dr. Javier also believed there was a reflection in the painting, painted eyes of Mary. Peruvian engineer Jose Tonsman spent 20 years attempting to lock the truth about the representation of the bearded man, claiming the supposed image has not been painted by human hand. And, and of course, there's this, and then there's this, this, this is really an interesting one, the miracles of levitation. Adorn the priest in 18, or 1628 and seen as eccentric, uh, Desa allegedly levitated the first time in 1630 during procession for St. Francis of Assista. After his inaugural flight, Desa began uncontrollably levitating during Mass or while attempting to perform other actions. He also had visions and gained the attention of the Catholic Church, which led to an inquisition. The church found nothing satanic about Desa's floating exploits and recognized him as a Saint Joseph in 1767. More than 100 years after his death, several other individuals canonized as saints supposedly levitated during their lives. Uh, Desa was said to be, have a learning disability in his early years. Father Dwight Longnecker wrote about Deza saying, even if he never levitated, he flew. He was raised up because that's the gospel principle. God raises up the lowly. So if you were mentally retarded, you could maybe levitate or fly because God raises up the lowly. You see, these kind of things, you know, and there are, there are many others you could, you know, and people flock to these sites world over to see these miracles that the Catholic Church, you know, we've heard about the Shroud of Torin and, you know, and all these things. And people believe it. You know, the devil has power. He has great power. And he, has, he doesn't have a power to make life. But who brought the Sabaeans against Job's children? Who brought the winds that destroyed his properties? And of course, we're going to see in the book of Revelation, he's going to, he's going to bring the, 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 the there's going to be the, the we, we looked at in chapter 16 about the spirits, the three spirits of unclean frogs going to bring the armies of the world to Armageddon. He has miracle working power. And this, 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 uh, 
false prophet is going to have miracle working powers energized by the devil himself to turn away. You know, again, the purpose is to turn away people from the truth. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1 says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with hot iron, with hot iron forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats, which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. Now, who is it that forbids to marry? It's a Catholic priesthood. And they also command to abstain from certain meats on certain days. When I was in Bible Institute, the... Uh, my teacher, one of my teachers, uh, was in Clearfield, PA. He said he remembers that they, the local radio station there years ago had brought on um, some Christian man to do an interview. And they got into a discussion about the power of the Catholic Church. And this guy said, why do you think all the public schools serve fish on Friday?" It's the Catholic Church because they're only allowed to eat fish on Friday. I don't know if they still do that, but that was, that was when I was, they still do that. Yeah, when I was in school, we had fish on Fridays in our public school. I didn't know why, but I do now. And he, the radio, the, the disc jockey got fired over that. You see, they, they, they deceive the world to turn them away from the truth. Look at Second Peter also, chapter 2 and verse 18. <clears throat> Second Peter chapter 2 and verse 18 says, When they speak great swelling words, talking about apostates, of vanity they allure through the lust of the flesh, through much wantonness, those that were clean escape from them who live in error, while they promise them liberty... They themselves are the servants of corruption, for of whom a man is overcome, of the same is he brought into bondage. You know, they, they, they promise liberty, you know, he, you know he, they make promises, but promises they can't keep. They promise liberty, but you can't know that you're going to heaven. You know, we are to, you know, the Lord told us, we're to examine teachers or prophets by their fruits. In Matthew chapter uh, 7, <clears throat> Matthew chapter 7 and verse 15, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing. He's going to appear as a lamb. But inwardly they are ravening wolves. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. And so, you know, we are to examine 
the false prophets by their fruits. You know, do they speak according to the law and according to the testimony of the word of God? Uh, in, in Isaiah chapter 8, in verse 20, the Bible says this. Uh, let's, I'm going to read verse 19 also. And when they shall say unto you, Seek unto them that have familiar spirits, and unto wizards that peep, and that mutter, should not a people seek unto their God, for the living to the dead, to the law and to the testimony? If they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. You know, the prophets are subject to the prophets. And when the prophet doesn't agree with the word of God, he's a false prophet. And the, but these are going to work. He is, this, this, this one is going to work, this false prophet, he's going to work miracles by which he's going to deceive the world into worshiping the beast. But he's also going to use persuasion. Look at verse 16 and 17. And he causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads, and that no man might buy or sell save he that had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. So this is at minimum very high pressured. It's coerced submission. Now, if you understand the Bible and the ministry of Jesus Christ, you know right away that's, that's a big red flag. Jesus never coerced anyone into following him. Never. You know, he loved the rich young ruler. And he let him go away. He didn't pressure him. He didn't try to convince him. He didn't try to debate with him. Or, or say, no, wait a minute, you know, and compel him in any way. He let him go away. There was no coercion or twisting of an arm. But here, he's going to cause, you know, it's going to be with, 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 some, with force, all the world to worship the beast or take the mark in his hand or in his forehead. And so that you, you can't sell, you can't buy, you can't sell, you won't be able to do business or anything unless you have the mark. Now, 50 years ago, people read that and they said, well, I'll just, I'll just go out in the woods and live, you know, and I'll just live off the land, and they'll never be able to find me. And, uh, do you think you could do that today? Now, I'm told that they can, they can see you by satellite from out of space anywhere you are. You know, when I lived in Maine, I'd hear stories about people crossing the border. Um... One man told one time about people buying pigs in Maine and taking them across the border illegally and hiding in the woods and moving around in the woods to get away from the, from the uh, uh, Royal Mounted Police that were looking for them. And I thought to myself, how did they know they went across the border? So I said something to Steve Nissy one day about it because every once in a while they'd have a coon hound that would run across the border. And they would, 
you know, they had radio callers on their on their coon hands, and they would they would dash across that border as fast as they can. I'm telling you, that Stephen S. Lee could run through the woods like a like an animal. But anyway, they would dash across that that border and to, and find that dog as fast as they could and get back. I said, how do they know you cross it? He said, there's a wire that runs the whole length, and they see everything that goes across it by satellite. Anything that goes across that that wire, they see it. And he said, it ain't long to those helicopters looking for what went across that border. And with today's technology, it's very easy to understand how a person could not buy or sell without this mark. Daily Mail article by Joe Pinkstone from Mail Online says more than 4,000 Swedes are being implanted with a microchip that contains details about their identity. The miniature technology bypasses the need for cash, tickets, access cards, or even social media. Biohacks International is a market leader in the innovative industry and has captured public imagination since it started five years ago by Joan Osterland, a formal professional body piercer. Some people argue the conveniences gained from the produce procedure by so-called body hackers do not outweigh the risks of their private data. The RFID implants use near-field communication technology, which is the same as in contactless credit cards or mobile payments is roughly the same size as a grain of rice and the procedure costs about $180. In June 2017, SG Rail, the Swedish train operator, announced that around 100 people were using microchips to pay for their journey. Commuters with a microchip in their hand are able to have their ticket loaded directly onto the device. The train conductor then read the chip with a smartphone to confirm the passenger has paid for their journey. This was one of the most widespread mainstream uses of technology and has seen it be, been adopted by a plethora of forward-thinking companies. Microchipping has even been adopted by professional social media platform Lincoln. Um, yeah, this guy, I'm not sure what his name, 28, said the chip basically solves my problems. Touching an event attendee's smartphone will allow the information to be transferred without the need for typing. Uh, so how do, they, how do they work? Well, several Swedish firms are implanting their employees with microchips under their skin, which can be used to replace keys, credit cards, and train tickets. And the same implants in near-field communication technology, the same as a contactless credit cards or mobile payments. So, you know, so this is already being done. It's just, and they, they implant it with a shrins into the back of the ham, often above your thumb, so probably right here. And all you have to do is board the train and run your hand across the scanner and you're on. Or you can go to the ATM machine and run your hand across it and get out your whatever you need to do. Make your transaction. I mean, it's just great. But see, in the coming tribulation period if you don't have it. And I think with this thing, same thing also, you're going to scan that to prove you're worshiping the Antichrist. 
See, with computer technology we have, it's very easy. You know, he's going he, to, no, it says here he's going he's gonna to make an image. They're going to, uh, verse 15, he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. Uh, so they're going to make images. Again, images are nothing new to the Catholic Church. They're loaded with images. I don't know. Maybe everybody will have this own little image in their house. And their computer or your television, your new television, I'm told, has capabilities to see you. Through your television, they will know that you worship the beast. You see, it will be almost impossible to escape the wrath of the beasts, the Antichrist and the false prophet. But how much more is it impossible to escape meeting the Lord? You know, Hebrews 9.27 says, As is the point on the man once to die, but after this the judgment. Romans 14.12 says, So though and every one of us should give account of himself to God. You know, as, if, as we... Think of, you know, as we consider these things tonight and realize that the technology is here, I believe the time is near. We need to be faithful and be as Peter, in Second Peter chapter 3, you know, I'm going to end with this. In verses 10 through 13, Peter says this, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasten unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens, being on fire, shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that you may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless, and account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. Your God is long-suffering to us, we're not willing that any should perish. So why is the Lord tearing his coming? Because he's long-suffering to us. His long-suffering is salvation. You know, Andrew Bishop often says, when the last soul is saved, we're going up. Are you ready? You know, one of these days, the last soul is going to be saved. And we are going up. But until that time, the Lord has allowed us here, given us opportunity for to receive salvation and then to share that salvation with a lost world that is headed for the judgment of Almighty God. So might God help us to realize we do have the victory. We have received the promises. And we need to be witnesses and testify of the saving grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the wrath that is to come upon this wicked and untoward earth.